Why are we here? It's clear that there is an innumerable number of causes and conditions, forces in our life and in the lives of others around us that have conspired to allow us to be here for this period of time. It's also clear that each of us has some aspiration to understand the mind, to to free the mind, to at least practice for greater self-knowledge. And another powerful condition that invites us here and encourages us here and really is the source, the seed of our being here is apparent in a story I want to tell. It said, eons and eons, life cycles ago, there was an ascetic, Sumedha. Have you heard this story, this retreat? (laughs) Okay. The point I want to emphasize What's important about the story of the ascetic Sumedha is that he had this intention, he had this aspiration to become a Buddha. And he had been practicing up to that point. In fact, it's said that if he had heard a single word of teaching from the Buddha, Dipankara, he would have become fully enlightened. A single word. That's how pure his mind was. And from the purity of his mind arose this aspiration, this intention to become a Buddha, one who could help others on their path to awakening. And as the story goes, subsequently, after lifetimes of perfecting the paramis. Indeed, the former ascetic Sumedha became the current Buddha Gotama. More than 2,500 years after becoming the Buddha Gotama, we are here living out the result of that intention, of that ascetic Sumedha, hundreds, thousands of lifetimes ago. And the vow, the purity of that intention is one of the essential conditions of our being here. From this story, we can begin to get, begin to open to really the scope of the vastness of time that this journey of awakening entails, and the, maybe more importantly, or equally important, is we begin to see the power of a purified mind. When the mind is pure and we act from that purity, thinking, speaking, and acting, the result is 
powerful. We're also able to be here because we're human. We were born as humans in a time when the teachings of the Buddha are available on the face of the earth. And we have some understanding, some something within our understanding allows us to hear the teachings of the Buddha and to resonate with them. But not only that, to hear the teachings of the Buddha, to resonate with them, to seek out, to find those opportunities to practice. You know that there is, there's a lot of people on the face of the earth that have never heard of the Buddha. They don't have the opportunity to. There are vast millions in the West who have heard of the Buddha with the current list of bestsellers on Buddhism, and yet never seek the opportunity to actually practice. It's just, it's just a stream of ideas up here. Oh, that's a good idea. What's the next book? Well, we who have heard the teachings have sought out an opportunity to practice and have kind of somehow gathered the resources and kind of seen the conditions of our life come together to support our being here. It's extraordinary. Really, there are so many other opportunities to uh, distract ourselves. What is it in each one of us that allows us to hear the teachings of the Buddha, to practice, to, to, to come here, to put up with this mind and body, and to do the work of awakening? These opportunities, these experiences, are the result of our own karmic actions. It's not accidental. It's not just lucky. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just chaos unfolding. Our being here and practicing is the lawful result of powerful force of conditioning, karma, action, purity, seeking the teachings in the practice that we have undertaken for not only this lifetime, if you believe in other lifetimes, but innumerable lifetimes. This opportunity is the result of such wholesome thoughts, practice, and aspirations in the past. It's important that we hear and begin to understand how this purity of intention, how our aspirations, how our actions condition our life, how our present is conditioned by the past, how our future is conditioned by the present, so that we can begin to see our place in time and and the unfolding of wisdom within us. And this is really about the law of karma, the law of intention, or the law of action, cause and effect. Essentially, the law of karma states actions have the potential to produce results. Actions are only the carrying forth of our intentions, the volition in our mind, in our heart. And it's said that in the teaching of the Buddha that every moment is accompanied by intention, volition, whether we know it or not. And some moments are weak and some are strong. And so in every moment, 
there is the opportunity to perform karma. It's said that it operates in every moment, sometimes weak, sometimes strong, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. But essentially the law of karma states that when we act, when we think, speak, and act, out of a place of attachment, fear, aversion of some sort, confusion, delusion, the result will be unpleasant. It's that simple. If, on the other hand, our thoughts, our speech, and our actions spring from a place in our heart that is open, loving, connected, understanding, kind, generous, the result will be pleasant. The more powerful the intention, the more powerful the result. Weaker intentions condition insignificant result. It's also said that every action conditions many results. It's not a one-for-one or one-to-one, but rather every action can condition many results. Every result, every experience that we have is conditioned by many previous actions. Not This is not the result of a single thought or action in the past. And this law of karma, this cause and effect, operates at all time. It is a natural law. It is a law unto itself. It doesn't answer to any higher authority, if you will. A natural law is something like the law of seeds. You know, you plant an orange seed, you get an orange tree. Why? Who knows? That's the law of seeds. Right? The law of gravity, natural law of physical bodies. You toss something into the air, the law of gravity says it's going to fall back down to earth. Why? Did somebody make it happen? No, it's the law, the natural law of physical property, or bodies, physical material things. The law of seasons, the law of weather patterns and seasons says, you know, throughout the year, throughout the cycle of the year, we go through seasons. Here, it's four. Winter, mud season, mosquito season, and beautiful season. You know, it's like that. Some places there's only three seasons. You know, some places there's only one. But nevertheless, did somebody make it happen? No. It's a natural law that governs the unfolding of the patterns of weather. Well, if we pay close attention to the mind, we can discover the laws that govern the unfolding of the mind. Is someone making it happen? No. It's the law. And the law that governs the unfolding of the mind is the law of karma. It's important to understand that the law of karma is not about being born with a destiny and having to live it out no matter what. It's not about predestination or fixed destiny, but rather the law of karma really teaches us a lesson from the past and offers us an opportunity for the future if we understand it properly. Walpola Rahula says, the theory of karma is the theory of cause and effect, of action and reaction. It is a natural law which has nothing to do with the idea of justice or reward and punishment. Every volitional action produces its effects or results. If a good action produces good effects and a bad action produces bad action conditions unpleasant results, it is not justice or reward or punishment but rather it is in virtue of its own nature, its own law. Now, why is the law of karma important to us? 
Why is the right understanding? We call it kama sakyadita. Right understanding of the law of kama. In part because if we understand the cause and effect of our mind, of our intentions, we have a powerful ally in our practice. After all, it's not easy to do this work. It's not easy for anyone. What supports us in continuing to do it? Because often we don't see immediate results. But the law of karma helps us to understand that all of our practice, all of our intentions, all of our efforts is really planting seeds of understanding, seeds of awakening. We're planting them every moment. We will harvest them, but not yet. It can also help us to, or understanding karma, can also help us to understand the changes that we go through, how the unexplainable experiences that we inevitably must experience, where do they come from? What can explain it? The law of karma has a way of positing some understanding of how and why we experience what we do. It also can help us to order and regulate our life. When we understand the law of karma and we see the power of intention, we'll pay more attention to them. We'll look carefully at our motivation. We'll, we'll pay attention to the, to the, what appears to be insignificant states of mind. Because we understand that they're really karma, karma creating or our pleasant and unpleasant experience are the result of karma. We also understand from the law of karma something about the vastness of time, something about the, the, the unpredictability of the unfolding of the universe. And in that, it really offers us every opportunity to grow in the direction of our aspiration. Now, personally, if you ask me to confirm or deny the law of karma, hmm, how could I prove it? Obviously, I can't. But I've seen enough to in my own practice and others to begin to open to and accept a lot of the, the outlines of the law of karma. When I was in Burma, I was practicing at this one monastery for a number of years. And generally at this center, the Burmese lay people in, in Rangoon are uh, prohibited, really strongly discouraged from speaking with the foreigners so that they, so that we would have uninterrupted opportunity for practice. But after I'd been there for a couple of years and people had seen me every Saturday or Sunday when they'd come to the center, eventually they got curious enough to come see me. And more than a few times, I'd be sitting in my room and doing my practice and there'd be a knock on the door and uh, I'd go to the door and there'd be this Burmese family, you know, mom and dad and two or three kids, a couple aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpa. And sometimes there was a real extended family, and they'd all kind of kind of crowd into my room or kind of be there by the open door, and they'd offer something, some food or a set of robes or something that monks can receive. And we'd uh, exchange pleasantries. Hi, how are you? Where you been? How long you been here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And then they'd say, you know, we wanted to come. We've seen you here for, uh, you know, a couple of years, and we wanted to come, come see you and to offer you something because, you know, we recognize you as being our teacher from previous lifetime. <laughs> right. Okay. And then I thought they were going to ask for the help in getting a visa to America or something. I, you know, the mind is just... It's like, how do you... When they come with so much faith, and it's not a matter of 
you know, they're not trying to pull the wool over my eyes. They, they believe it. They know it. They feel it somehow. How can I hear that and respect it, not kind of shut them out or turn them, turn away, but also not just kind of get too inflated and just, all I could do is hear it and say, maybe, maybe so. I hope I can be worthy of your, you know, your respect, your connection, your understanding. And all I would do is really, um, encourage my practice. What can you do with that understanding? When others around you have that understanding, it's easier to kind of believe it and kind of act as if. And this is what I've seen, that whether I can agree to all of the fine points of the law of karma, I've noticed that over the years of practice, I live and act as if the law of karma were true. So how can we understand, or how can we apply this understanding to our life? That actions as causes for conditions. Obviously, we have a lot of thoughts. All those thoughts are actions, karmic acts. If we really pump them up and develop them, dwell on them, they come out as speech or as physical actions. And when they do, they're more powerful takes a lot of intentions to carry out an action. It takes a lot of intentions to, to speak, kind of continuously, if you will. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's greater karma in speaking and acting than in our thoughts. But as karma, the intentions really are of two kinds. First is, intentions is motivation. What's our motivation for the thoughts we have, what we say, what we do? If our actions, if the motivation is limited to ourself, our own concern, our own happiness or well-being, our own attachments, fears, jealousies, envies, etc., you can be sure that it's a pretty narrow, pretty fearful, pretty uh, limited intention or motivation. And the result is sure to be equally constricting, unpleasant. If, on the other hand, our motivation is grounded in a recognition of our connection with others, grounded in an understanding that our happiness is really intimately and inextricably entwined with the happiness of all other beings, if our actions, if our motivation is grounded in that understanding that we share our resources with innumerable other beings on the face of the earth, kindness, generosity, understanding, then the result has to be one of openness, love, expansiveness, pleasant result. Intentions also refer to the moment we act, the impulse in acting, that moment prior to speaking, thinking, acting, to act from a place of care, consideration, understanding of others makes sense. Bob Thurman, who's a Tibetan Buddhist scholar, has a really interesting metaphor for the law of karma. It's like this. Just imagine you get on the subway in New York City, and you're going to go three stops and get off where you're intending to go. And you get on the subway, and you know how it is. You get on the subway in the city, it's really busy and full, and uh, you, 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 you just kind of want to travel safely to your, your destination and get off. So you don't look around, you don't engage other people, you just kind of stay in your own little world. And the doors close, and the car takes off, and you're going down the track. And uh, you just notice, just kind of out of the corner of your eyes, that you want to stay 
pretty much isolated from everyone that's on the car. And uh, the car keeps going and going and going. And after a while, you realize that it's gone past your stop and uh, it's, it's not stopping. And uh, some, at some point down the track, uh, the, it, 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 the realization dawns on you that it's not going to stop. And in fact, you are going to be on that car traveling through your life and the lives of everyone on that car forever. And now you look around and you say, well, who, who on this car is going to be my ally? And who on this car is going to be the difficult person? Because, after all, you're going to live with them forever. And so you look around and see who's got the food, and um, you, you, you start to care about everyone that you see around you. Because their happiness, or I should say, your happiness depends on their happiness. If they're not happy, you've got to live with it. And so what you say and what you do comes from a place of trying to make everybody happy. So if, uh, you know, a little uh, couple of gang members over in the corner start having a fight, are you just going to say, don't know anything about it, don't want to know anything about it? Uh, no. I mean, because whatever happens in that, the results are going to live in that car with you forever. You know, somebody draws a knife, somebody goes down, that's the end. They're immediately reborn, and they remember what happened. Um, you, mm -hmm, and you didn't come to help. Okay, now, now we've got to live with that. Now what are you going to do? So, pretty soon you start caring about everyone. You start looking around, you start connecting with everyone, and you start coming from a place of really wanting everybody to be happy. You know, it's easy to give up a little bit of your own space if it's going to make somebody else happy. Well, that's the way it is for us. We are going to be traveling through the rounds of our lives with each other, everyone in this room and others, for a long time. All of our wandering in samsara. It's just that. Can your happiness be to the exclusion of the happiness of others? It's not possible. When you let your actions spring, motivated from a place of caring for others, happiness, you can't go wrong. It makes sense. You also have no cause for regret, no cause for remorse. Your view is expansive, your understanding is pervasive. So, what is it that makes our intentions, our karma, if you will, powerful? The ascetic Sumedha, single intention, extraordinarily powerful. So what makes it powerful? The first condition that energizes intention is the energy of the mind. If the mind is energized, interested, alert, attentive, our intention has more power. If, the second condition, the more frequently we have the intention, the stronger it becomes. Habits become powerful. If we develop skillful habits, they become powerful. If we develop unskillful habits, they too become powerful. I was having a conversation with someone today about the power of delusion or the power of ignorance. Ignorance is extraordinarily powerful. When we act out of ignorance, we don't know. You know we don't know whether something's skillful or not. or We don't even know we're doing it. We're just totally unconscious. That doesn't mean that it's an insignificant karmic act. It means that it's extraordinarily powerful because the repetition of confusion or ignorance or delusion is so strong. The intention is very powerful. The third condition that makes an intention powerful is the purity of the mind. 
how free the mind is from the hindrances or defilements, how collected, how concentrated, how focused, how pure the mind is, how well the mind can do its work, if you will. And the second condition of purity is the clarity of our understanding. I think Kamala will be speaking more about bhavana, the development of the mind, purifying the mind of contaminants and developing the clarity so that we see things as they are. When we see things as they are, we can see the means to reach the end. If we don't see how things are, we don't know which means will reach the end. Impossible to know. So karma or intention is action, and each action plants the seed of result in our mind. Now karma or the the action or the result, it isn't stored in the mind, it isn't. Just as apples aren't stored in an apple seed, but the potential is. There's a potential within the action to produce the result, just as there's a potential in the seed to produce the fruit. But the seed's potential is not enough. You could have a whole, whole, whole bag full of apple seeds sitting, sitting right here, and you'd never get a fruit if the seed didn't have supportive conditions. This is important, important point. All of our karmic seeds need supportive conditions to sprout. Now, we have probably done some unskillful things in the past. A few. What is going to encourage their sprouting and giving result? If you put yourself in an unwholesome, unskillful situation, then they're more likely to to sprout. If, on the other hand, you associate with wise people, you engage in Dharma practice, or you try to purify your mind, you exercise some restraint, some renunciation, careful reflection, they don't have the support for sprouting. Our Dharma seeds are planted in the past, can only sprout in the present or the future if they're supported. I remember when I first came to IMS here in, in 1977. Soon after I came, there was uh, a Burmese monk, uh, that had, first Burmese monk that had come to America, uh, Tongpulo Sayadaw. And during the three-month course of uh, 78, we invited him to come here to, to, to offer teachings for a week or so. And uh, I'd, never seen a, I'd never seen a monk before. I didn't know what a monk was. Didn't, didn't know anything about it. Uh, we didn't, see, didn't have a lot of them in Maine. So, uh, <laughs> didn't have a lot anywhere in the States. So this uh, elderly Burmese monk came and, he, and uh, you know, he was wearing the robes and shaved head and, and gave some teachings. And even though I really didn't understand much about him, uh, what, what, was, what was his life all about, I felt this, I felt this urge to do what he was doing. I wanted to be a monk. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what that meant. But I wanted to be a monk. I wanted to do that. I wanted to. There was some purity and um, determination and discipline uh, in his lifestyle, in his being, that was apparent. And I wanted that. And I wasn't very conscious in my aspiration, but it was there. And I, 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 I didn't kind of chafe with the, with the I want to be a monk uh, attachment, but it just sat there in my mind as a, a kind of a, a possibility. And it wasn't until eight or ten years later that enough conditions came together in my life, a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of understanding, some material resources, greater opportunities to practice in Burma, a teacher that I connected with here, that I could go see there, 
it wasn't until other supportive conditions came together that I was able then to go, to ordain, to live as a monk, to practice as a monk, and to fulfill that kind of karmic intention or that karmic aspiration. I couldn't do it on my own. I needed the support of other conditions. So in yourself, when you see these, when you see your dharma aspirations, as you do, you know, in practice, when, you know, when the mind is pure and, and the confidence rises, we feel how important it is to us to do the work that needs to be done, to really free the mind. We see it. We feel it. Understand that that's an aspiration. It's not, it's not an attachment. And nurture it. Nurture it. When conditions come together, do what you can to practice. Don't chafe at the kind of, I want it now. You know, if you push, you hurry, you, you manipulate, you cajole, you contrive conditions to, to, to do something prematurely, no wholesome karmic result. But if, on the other hand, you nurture your aspirations, conditions will come to support the unfolding of that karma. Very important to understand how, how the mind works that way. When the Buddha was asked, what's the cause, what's the condition, why are human beings seen to be superior, inferior, healthy, sickly, live long lives or, or die young? What's the cause behind that? What, why? Why is there such variety in humans? And he said it's because the way that leads to living healthily is by being kind. The way that leads to living a long life is by non-killing. The way that leads to being beautiful is to be loving. The way that leads to being wealthy is to be generous. The way that leads to being wise is to be curious, inquisitive. On the other hand, those who engage in killing can expect to live short lives. Those who engage in uh, anger, irritability, can expect to be ugly. Those who are stingy can expect to be poor. We can get a sense, we can even feel it in ourselves, a degree, that this may be true. But the question still remains, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? If we only look to the immediate condition, the immediate, what seems to be the immediate cause and effect, we really do ourselves an injustice. Because the law of karma encompasses infinity of time. Just an immense amount of time. And it's not possible to see the unfolding of our minds in a single lifetime. Everything that happens to us now isn't a result of something we did necessarily this lifetime. Everything that we do now with great intention, we may not experience the fruit of it immediately or even in this lifetime. When we begin to open to that range, that perspective on this path, everything falls in its place. Nothing is accidental. And we can begin to, to really develop the stamina of attention that we need. We do. We do develop stamina. I mean, practice is a lot about developing the capacity to endure our burden, our share of pain, the results of our karma.
There are many, many stories in the Buddhist text about the benefit of single acts or the, the harm caused by single acts. You know, many stories, one person offering the Buddha a flower, offering a monk, offering a nun, uh, you know, a bowl of rice, whatever, and enjoying the benefits for lifetimes. On the other hand, single acts or you know, real carelessness of a being, you know, begrudging, uh, sharing with others, or or being stingy or miserly, and and having to live with those results too, lifetimes. In it, you begin to see how those beings and those stories, and you begin to open to the possibility too that we are architects of our own fate. We are co-creators with other conditions, known and unknown, of our future. If we plant wholesome seeds, we'll surely reap pleasant results. When I first left Burma, I went to Australia teaching with, I was, went with Upandita and a couple of other monks who were leading a retreat there. And it was a, I think it was a two-month retreat, so about 60 days. And so for 58 days, Upandita gave the Dharma talk. And he's pretty inspiring, demanding. He's very, you know, he really calls forth the best of you. And a lot of what he teaches is, or, or he often refers to, you know, the need to really purify your mind and to, to really uproot the unwholesome tendencies of mind so that your future lifetimes are guaranteed, so that you are fully on the path to awakening, no going back. And a lot of times it's through, uh, uh, just think of what might happen if you don't. You know, a little bit of fear there. And uh, it's like, wow, it's, it can be a powerful goad or carrot in your practice. And then on the on the, the 59th day, uh, the other senior monk who was traveling with him was uh, allowed to give the talk. And uh, he came on and he talked about all the wholesome benefits, the beautiful results you get from practicing the Dharma. You're sure to be born in heaven realms. You're sure to have lots of opportunities to practice the Dharma. You're sure to have all these pleasant results, which seem to, in a way, kind of contradict everything Upandita said. But not really. But he was very encouraging for Dharma practice. And Mahasi Saida, who really was the founder of this tradition, he said, for those who practice the Dharma sincerely, those who practice dana or generosity, those who practice sila or the five or eight precepts, and those who practice bhavana, the development of the mind, either samadhi or Wisdom, sure to be born in good conditions, conditions that allow you to hear the Dharma and practice the Dharma in the future. Think about it. You know, maybe we're going to have another lifetime. Maybe we won't finish this lifetime. Maybe we will, and it's a possibility. But if we don't, where do you want to be reborn? I hope it's some place where I can hear the Dharma in practice and be reminded of what I now understand. But if that's not clearly your aspiration, what is? Where are you, where's your life going? Is it intentional or is it accidental? It's really important to frequently acknowledge the blessings of our current life, current existence. How did we get this opportunity? Not accidental, but because we have practiced in the past. We've had lots, mountains and mountains, they say, of wholesome activity necessary to have the opportunity to, as a human being to hear and practice the Dharma. 
now that we have this opportunity, what's the best possible use we can make of it? Further developing our minds, further purifying our minds, our understanding. More wholesome actions, dana, sila, bhavana, each moment. The law of karma is the law governing the unfolding of the mind. There is a direction our lives are going, whether we see it or not. Ignorance of the law is no release or relief, no excuse. As Don Juan said to Carlos, the ordinary man or woman sees events in life as blessings or as curses. But the man or woman of power sees every event as an opportunity to gain power and knowledge. The results of your previous actions, we experience them, pleasant and unpleasant, day in and day out. That's the result. Is it a blessing or a curse, or is it an opportunity? When we understand the law of karma, we see just because something's unpleasant doesn't mean it's wrong or bad or we're not doing it right. It's an opportunity. See it for what it is. In that clear seeing, wholesome karma performed. William Stafford, the poet I like, talks about karma in this way. The title of the poem is The Little Ways That Encourage Good Fortune. Wisdom is having things right in your life and knowing why. If you do not have things right in your life, you will be overwhelmed. You may be heroic, but you will not be wise. If you have things right in your life, but you do not know why, you are just lucky and you will not move in the little ways that encourage good fortune. The saddest are those not right in their lives who are acting to make things right for others. They act only from their self, and that self will never be right. No luck, no help, no wisdom. The role of mindfulness in the unfolding of our karmic life. Mindfulness is the the element of our mind, or the attribute of the mind, the capacity of the mind to know things as they are, to see which experience is painful, and which experience is pleasant. It is so important to to really begin to see that, because from that understanding, our intentions flow. If we see that something is painful in ourselves, we will not act in such a way as to bring it upon others. If we don't see that something is painful, carelessly we can act to induce it or to share it or to bring it forth in others, ourself or others. The more subtle the suffering we are awake to, the more wise our actions in relation to others. And a large part of practice is, is, is just that opening to subtler and subtler forms of suffering and seeing how fragile, really, you know, happiness is. That it can be so easily and carelessly shaken. Mindfulness also straightens the mind. One quality of mind, ujjukata, arises with the strength of mindfulness. Straightness of mind, or jukata, is the the inability to deceive yourself. What could be better? The inability to deceive yourself. No more self-rationalizations, no more defensiveness, 
No more a kind of uh, trying to explain things so that it sounds right. No more spin. You know, you don't have to put a spin on anything because the mind sees it as it is. So we see the karmic importance of every act, of every thought, of every time we speak. When I was a monk in Burma, one of the rules of monks is not to handle money. And so your whole, my whole life as a monk was supported by others. I couldn't, I couldn't go buy anything for myself. If I needed new robes or sandals or whatever I needed, you can't buy it for yourself. You can only you know, accept it if someone offers it to you. But that doesn't mean that you don't see things that you'd like. You know, and there are, you know, there are nicer robes, and then there's not such nice robes. There are nicer sandals, and then just the ordinary sandals. And there are nicer uh, umbrellas, you know, sunshades, parasols, and there are not so nice ones. And of course, the mind has the this infinite capacity to distinguish uh, better from best and uh, from worse. And in Burma. The lay people are so appreciative of monks and nuns, so supportive. If you give the slightest, I mean the slightest indication that you appreciate something a little more than something else, they will immediately go get it for you and offer it. And I saw in my mind how how extraordinarily careful I had to be to not act out my attachment. Because all I had to do was just notice, oh, look at that robe. And if a lay person heard it, they'd go get a set of robes like that. It's that. And so you just see in your mind, or I saw in my mind, how extraordinarily easy it is to act out our greed, our aversion, our delusions, even as a monk, when you're, you know, just by speaking, just by noticing, just by sharing your perceptions with others. Really important to awaken, to, to I tell this story to awaken to the straightness of the mind so that you don't deceive yourself, so that you really see this is how it is in my mind. No spin. One last comment about the law of karma. And this is an important piece that at first might sound not quite right. But listen, it's said that it is of greater karmic consequence to commit an unskillful act not knowing it than to commit an unskillful act knowing that it's unskillful. Did you get that? If you don't know something is unskillful, and you do it anyway. The karma of that is greater than if you know something is unskillful and you do it. Why? Do you get that? It's, 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 it almost sounds exactly the opposite. I used to think if I know something's wrong, not skillful, and I do it, oh, that's got to be worse. No. If you don't know, if you are ignorant of the karmic result of something, there's no second thoughts, you don't, you don't waver about doing it, you do it with a lot of enthusiasm, there's no remorse after having done it, and so you, you act with full intention, 
strong, unmitigated intention in performing this unwholesome act. On the other hand, if you know it's unwholesome, but the force of desire, attachment, or aversion is so strong in your mind that you agonize over it. Oh, I know I shouldn't do it, but I want to do it. I shouldn't. Yes, I will. No, yes, no, yeah. Oh, oh, I'm going to do it anyway. And then you do it. All of that second thoughts, all of that remorse, all of that regret, all of that weakness of intention serves to mitigate the karmic consequences. How we think about our former or prior actions either strengthens or weakens the karmic result. All the practice you've done here over these two months or three weeks, however long you've been here, great. No matter if it's been terrible, it's great. I mean, if it's been unpleasant, if it's been challenging, if it's been frustrating, if it's been disappointing, as it always, as it often is, that's all right. The intention to practice, understanding the power of practice, you know, kind of uh, rewarding yourself for practice, if you will, all supports every moment of intending to be mindful. You know, if the intention is there, whether you're mindful or not, is not the point. Is your intention to be mindful? Big difference. Every moment, planting seeds of intention to be mindful, they will sprout. They'll, mindfulness will come get you. It will. And say, wake up. That's one of those seeds sprouting, coming to get you, that you planted earlier in the retreat. As we awaken to the understanding of the law of karma, we begin to see, really, wholesome and unwholesome in the mind. It becomes more difficult to act unskillfully, consciously. Because we feel it. We feel the pain immediately. Right as we're doing it. It's hard to be unskillful if you're awake. The right understanding or the right view of karma helps us to understand the past, to see that the past offers us many lessons. The suffering that we feel now, result of the past. The happiness we feel or experience now, result of the past. There's a lesson there for us. And in that lesson, we see that we have the opportunity in this moment to, to guide our future, to lay down tracks into a future of happiness, of well-being. It's really hard to give a talk on karma and not kind of provoke um, oppressive thoughts about past unskillful actions. But hear this part too. Understanding the law of karma gives us every opportunity to create our future. Every opportunity. and we're doing our plain duty in attending to them. This is how we find out the truth about ourselves and the truth about the world. What a thing to find out. But we have to. The evening is calm. We sup and reflect. We ready ourselves for the end and prepare for the hereafter. 
for the next day. A bit of tidying, a little reparation, some shared peace and pleasure, and then a prayer on the pillow. An owl hoots. It was a good life, we say. A cricket sings. The lamp fades, and it is over. We die. So good evening, Vasco. Good day to you, and good morning, too. Yours truly, Mr. Curley. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.